I'm glad that you're here this morning. You braved the weather to come out. How do you like 2021 so far? First thing that we had was a snowstorm, right? 2020 is in the record books, as they say, or in the can. I guess that means that they finished the uh, filming and it's in the can. That's the, the, the image there. 2020 is all gone, and now we're in 2021, and we're looking forward to the beginning of this year. So far, it hasn't quite started out as nicely as uh, we might like, and we'll probably have more snow and, and uh, bad weather and maybe other things that are happening. Um, as far as the ministry moments are concerned this morning, I wanted to share with you that uh, we have uh, slowed down quite a bit here at our church because of the season, the holiday season, and we're going to be trying to get started again if the COVID virus will let us and uh, as we see the Lord leading. But uh, it's, it's exciting to be together here today, and for those of you who will be listening on our streaming, we welcome you as well, and we pray that you will be blessed by our services as we worship together. I'd like for you to turn with me uh, in the uh, New Testament to Philippians. That's after uh, Ephesians, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2. And we're going to talk this morning about being an essential church. So first I want to read the scripture that we're going to look at and then begin the message uh, for this morning. So Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 2. He starts out by giving them a conditional sentence. Um, and you've got to understand Paul's argument here. He's, he's wanting to suggest that if there are certain things that do exist, then certain things should result from that. So he puts it in what we call a conditional sentence beginning with if. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, If there is any encouragement in the Messiah or, or in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship, by the way, that word is the koinonia with the Spirit, if any af affection and mercy, then, Paul says, if these things exist, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent, intent on one purpose." Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And may God bless the reading of his word today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the holy word of God, for the message that Paul has given to us, uh, the message that the Bible contains it teaches us how to be faithful servants of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how we are directed to be faithful in ministry and in love and to be witnesses that the whole world might see, even through these difficult times, whether it's the weather or illness or flu or the pandemic or troubles, we just hold on to you and we stand in strength as being your faithful disciples. Guide us as we study this scripture and as we consider some things related to being going through the transitional process and taking a look at ourselves 
and asking sometimes the hard questions that will teach us how to hold on to you and be faithful to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We ask especially that we will recognize your presence here and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that will move our hearts, those who are here this morning, those who are listening on the TV, and guide us to renew and revive our faith as faithful disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, there was a, there was a battle in the Supreme Court that was brought about because during the pandemic, churches were not considered to be essential. Liquor stores could be open. Uh, a whole bunch of other things could be open, but churches were not supposed to ser- uh, worship. They were not supposed to gather together. And in, there have been states, such as California and New York, that put restrictions on the church, and those churches went to court, and the Supreme Court basically argued that church was essential. That's great. We are an essential business. We should be open because we do something very important during a pandemic, and that is to give people hope and encouragement. But the question is, is the church essential? Maybe, maybe those people in those states, the governors that shut, tried to shut down the churches, considered churches not to be essential. But the question still comes to us, is the church essential? There are really three issues in this question that I want to share with you this morning that give rise to the reason for the message. Uh, number one is that we are trying to be, go through a transitional process. A transitional process always focuses on who we are and what we're supposed to do. And this has been really brought to the forefront and emphasized because of the COVID virus, because the world out there was saying churches aren't part of that essential category of activities and businesses that people should be doing when you're in this flu epidemic and people are dying. Well, I think that that's an important issue for us during our transitional focus and this epidemic, but there are some other reasons as well Uh, Tom Rainer, who used to be the president of Lifeway, uh, once wrote that based on the evidences that we have, that 5,000 to 10,000 churches were closing every one to two years. Closing their doors, ceasing to be, ceasing to worship, ceasing to teach the word of God or ceasing to do anything they were closing their doors, 5,000 or so a year in the United States. That's a pretty difficult thing to talk about because churches struggle. And it was even considered during the COVID virus that this would close down a lot of churches that were struggling to be the church and they would close their doors. Jay Hardwick, associate of Uh, in South Carolina, one of the associate executive directors, said that if something dramatic does not happen within five to ten years, many churches will close their doors. Because some churches were not only just plateaued, they were dying and they were going down. This raises the question, are not churches essential? 
Are those churches not essential? That they have to close their doors, stop worshiping, stop studying the Bible, stop having fellowship. And one of the answers to that, not only are we struggling with COVID and, and, and not only were churches closing down, but it seemed that a number of churches had open back doors. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the fact that it's cold outside and somebody's left the door sitting wide open, although that might not be a, a very apt, that might be a very apt image, uh, because what's happening is that churches are coming in, uh, people are coming in to be part of the churches and then walking out the door and never returning. And this seems to be acute in the age group of 18 to 22, 22 years of age. 30% of those groups, of that group, 18 to, 30, 18 to 22, stay in the church but 70% of that age group disappear. They're dropouts. They don't come back. Um, Rainer, in one of his books, interviewed a, a gentleman by the name of John. And John said, I stopped attending church between the summer of my junior and senior years of high school. I then went on to college and didn't attend church, he admitted. It's been more than 15 years and I still haven't been back. That's what this guy said. He said, nothing big or negative caused me to stop attending church, but I just came to the point that I did not see church as essential to my life. And I guess that has been the case for more than 15 years now. Note that he said this, I did not see church as essential to my life. A survey of these young adults, 18 to 22, concluded that they were more likely to stay in church if they saw the church as essential to their lives. But there's a whole host of reasons why they don't see it as, as essential. I guess, I guess it's kind of interesting. When I went to college, it was easy on Sunday morning to go to Bedside Baptist listen to Pastor Pillow, Sister Sheets, and Brother Blanket, right? And I just got into that habit, not going to church, not thinking it is important to me. Sometimes churches are confusing. Sometimes churches don't seem to present any strong purpose or strong expectation of why it's essential for our lives. The good news is that uh, Tom and Sam Rayner discovered a number of churches that were retaining. They were keeping their young adult members. These churches have communicated clearly to the local, that the local church is essential to the lives of Christians. They demonstrated biblically the New Testament reality that God intended for local congregations to gather, worship, disciple, minister, and evangelize. Uh, their church members see the local congregation um, as a biblical fellowship that they deem critical for their lives. In other words, the church is essential. So what does it take to be an essential church? If we study those churches that are doing a good job of this, there are several things that stand out. 
there are four important things that stand out. And I would like to do this series of messages on these four points, four major issues that these churches do to keep their young adults and the people who come to the church from sitting in the pew on one Sunday and then walking out the back door for the rest of the of 15 or more years. What is it that churches do to continue to indicate and to be essential for our nation and for the world? Why are we here? In other words, the question could be asked this way. What in the world was God thinking about when Jesus established his church? It seems to me it would have been easier for God just to snap his fingers and we'd all be walking faithfully and, and uh, just following him. But God's strategy was to give us a choice. For us to have free will to choose Christ or reject Christ. And when we choose that Jesus was the ransom for many, as we, we heard in the reading that Jacob read, then we come to understand that there is something that Jesus is calling us to do as faithful servants, faithful disciples. And you know what that is? It's to be part of his church. So what we're kind of saying, if the church is not essential, then Jesus is not essential. Is that not true? If the church isn't important, then Jesus was wrong in talking about his church and Paul talking about church and Paul planning churches and the need to plant churches and evangelize and do missions. Somewhere in the midst of all of that, there must be something that teaches us that the church is essential. And there are four things that the Rainers, father and son, identified as essential for the essential church, as important for the essential church. Four things. Today we're going to look at one of those, and it's called simplify. Simplify, deepen, expect, and multiply. Churches that retain their younger members, close the back door, become valid in their communities, in the life of the people there, do these four things. They focus on these four things. They try to keep these four things. And those are the things that we want to talk about for the next couple of Sundays in through February. Number one, though, is simplify. Simplify. What does it take to be an essential church? First, the church has learned to simplify. That means that we need to recognize there is one purpose, there's one goal, and we move towards that goal with all that we are in a simple, loving, and caring fashion. Too many churches are filled with activities that have little coherent purpose. We do a lot of things, but we're just spinning our wheels, getting nowhere. And somehow those things have arisen because they're good, but on the other hand, we have to evaluate all the things that we do because sometimes churches have forgotten the Great Commission and that we are to be obedient to the Great Commission. 
Obedience to the Great Commission is what helps the church to be essential because that's what Jesus called us to be. Those were his marching orders. And if we don't do the marching orders, where do we, where, what do we do? It's like having a, a club of fishermen who sit around and talk about fishing but never go out and fish. We have to make sure that we work on these things. So how does a church simplify? Number one, the essential church has clarity. This is what Paul said. I want you to listen to this verse um, one and actually the very beginning of verse two. I noted that it was a conditional sentence. Now, Paul said, if there's any encouragement in the Messiah, and, and the question is, you have to say, yes, there's encouragement in the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That God said this was the truth. So if there is any encouragement in the Messiah, and there is, if there is any consolation of agape love, Paul says agape love is what Jesus did for us, and this is what he called other church, uh, his people to do, to love the, the flock, to love each other in agape love. Agape love is not self-centered. It's not selfish. It's thinking the best and caring for others. And he's saying, is there that kind of love? And the answer is, well, yes. He says, is, is there any encouragement in, in the Messiah? Yes. Is there any consolation of love in, in being a Christian? And the answer is yes. He says, is there any fellowship with the Spirit? Well, yes, when you come to know Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got part of God in you. We talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The presence of Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is in your life. Is there fellowship, doing things together with the Holy Spirit as a Christian? And the answer is, well, yes, that's there. We, we don't think it isn't. We don't think that it doesn't happen. And then he says, is there any affection and mercy? The affection is our love for God and mercy is the way God treats us because even though we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us and we are loved by God and God loves us and, and, and we love him back. Is there any of that? Well, yes, there should be. He said, if these things exist, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to have clarity by making my joy complete, look at verse 2 at the very beginning, by thinking the same way. The church thinks the same way. We study the word of God, we understand what God wants us to do and know, and we think the same way. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Some of the dropouts who don't come back to church begin to think that maybe that's not so important. You're not even sure that God exists or that Jesus really died on the cross for their sins or that it doesn't have much of an impact. But clarity is having the same way of thinking. The people who dropped out were uncertain what the church was all about. They did not know the church's purpose. What is the purpose of the church? Everybody comes in here and looks at each other and smiles and sings the songs, goes home, has roast preacher for supper, and, and that's what church is, right? So what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? Uh, this generation are not the same as 
their parents' generation. I've got kids that age and older. Um, we sort of were told to go to church because we were supposed to go to church. That's what everybody did. That was the culture. That was the nature. But they don't know that they're just supposed to go to church because church is what we're supposed to do. They want to know why. And I think that's a valid question. Clarity has essentially two components. Clarity asks the question of what, and then the question of how. What is the purpose of the church, and how will the church's purpose be accomplished? How do we get from A to B? If we are called to know Christ and be disciples, how do we help people come to know Christ, and then how do we get them on the journey, on the path to discipling? All that we are supposed to be and do is bound up in the Great Commission, the marching orders of our Lord and Savior. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we hold on to that as our essential purpose and we move forward? Paul said, make my love complete by thinking the same way. The essential church when it simplifies, has to have the clarity of purpose. Your church, Providence Church here, has made this point. We don't have our signs up. Loving God, loving others, serving the world. Now the question is, that's our purpose. How can we focus in on that and accomplish it? The second point is the essential church has to have movement. In other words, we can sit around all day and talk about the purpose, but then we have to figure out how to do it. And Paul says this is how to do it. He says, make his joy complete, in verse 2, by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one's purpose. So what Paul is saying here is that there is a movement. In other words, we do things. Four things, actually. The church thinks the same, it has the same love, it has the same spirit, it has the same purpose. Now you might say to me, but doesn't that make us all the same? Well, absolutely not, because it is the same thing in Jesus Christ. And God has called us, to, has given us Jesus Christ to call us to a new life in Him. And that new life in Him is infinite and wondrous and unsearchable in the riches and the joy of serving Christ. So we don't lose diversity if we have the same views, if we have the same ideas, at least in simplifying what God has called us to do as a church. Essential churches try to boil it down to get to the bottom line. What are we supposed to do? We are called to make disciples and we are called to teach them all the things that God commanded, uh, uh, Jesus commanded us and baptize them and have them know that we're part of the church in which Jesus is always there. He's always here with us. And that's what should move us. That's what should animate us. That's what should give us the purpose in our life of what to do. If we've got this happening and that happening all over the different places, we, don't, we, we aren't trying to focus on one purpose. Essential churches lead members to connect to a worship service, then connect to a Bible study class or small group, and then connect to ministry. 
There is a strategy to the movement and there is a sequence to the movement. Essential churches are intentional about helping members move towards greater maturity, spiritual death, and service to Jesus Christ. This is the discipleship process and it's rather simple. Sometimes churches think that all they need to do is to get a person down the aisle, dunk them in the waters, and then sit them down. And that's all there is to do. But that's not all there is to do. What we're called to do is disciple people. We are called to think about how people get from point A to point B. Now, there might be a lot of distractions in the middle, and churches sometimes do that, and people sometimes do that. But the goal is deepening and maturing believers in Jesus Christ. The reason why a lot of people drop out of church is because they have never been taught what it means to walk as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. They have never been taught the value of worshiping together. The scripture tells us we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There is value in it. There is something in it that deepens us, that widens our thoughts and helps us deal with and approach life and be successful in the things that matter for time and eternity. That is a real, personal walk with Jesus Christ. If people put their faith in doctrine, then they will only be able to understand the doctrine made by men. If people put their faith in a building, and I'm talking here sometimes about sacred cows, if they put their faith in a church or in a person or in a group, all of those things have their own unique strengths and weaknesses. But the church must teach that we put our faith solely and completely in Jesus Christ, God's Son. And He has to be the leader of the church. He has to be the one who teaches us where to go and how to do it. In the training called... Um, well, now I have one of those senior moments... Uh, experiencing God, you're supposed to find where God is moving and then go there, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Well, sometimes churches miss the point and think that where God is is where we sit on our, you know what, in the service rather than find God's moving and joining himself. There is movement in the essential church. You get the impression that they know with clarity what they need to do and then they start doing it. They understand that it isn't just why, it's also how. Number three, the essential church has alignment. Now what this means is that there are no lone rangers in the essential church. Let's look at what Paul says in verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than you yourselves. I get tired of people who uh, tell me that they want to find a church where, that has it all. What they mean is that has everything to give them. They want to have this, they want to have this, they want to have this, they want to have this. I've got uh, preschool kids, so they have to have a phenomenal preschool department. I have young adults. Youth, they have to have a wonderful youth program. And churches try to cater to these things and do all these things. And what they're doing is saying to the people that the Christian life 
Is God being the great vending machine in the sky giving you all that you need if you push the right buttons and nothing about God using us to be servants for his glory and for the glory of Jesus Christ. In the Mark text that we read, Jesus said, if you want to be high in the kingdom, learn to be a servant. And Jesus himself said he was coming to be a servant. We need to align ourselves together in the right kind of understanding is that ultimately we are not to be self-centered or conceited. We are supposed to look to love others unconditionally, mercy with mercy and grace, because they too are individuals for whom Jesus died on the cross. And the church's purpose in being aligned is that we're all pulling together. I, I have a grand, uh, my wife has a grandfather who for many years um, plowed his field even up until he died with mules. In fact, he got pretty beat up once when the disker he was, they were pulling ran over him, and that wasn't a very good thing. But he used two mules. He took time to make sure in that double yoke that those mules pulled together. And when he had to get a new mule, he had to make sure that they got trained so they pulled together, not different ways, to go this way or that way. Because they had to be unity, considering the needs of others. Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. It's not my idea, not your idea. But in humility, we're trying to follow God's idea that others need to know Christ Jesus. And they need to be important in our lives. They need to be great, great for us to serve them. Now, here it's, here's the point. In that culture that Paul's writing to at Philippi, and in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is ranks. You know, they had actually castes. They had actually classes. And if you stepped on somebody's higher than your toes, you're in trouble. And people who were higher in whatever, wealth, fame, fortune, class, they acted that way and thought that people were lower than them were nothing, were worthless. And you find that even today in, in certain societies. And God is turning that upside down. Jesus turns that upside down and saying, I am the son of God, but I willingly, lovingly made myself a servant and went to the cross for your sake because you mattered to me. We matter to God. Does that mean that we don't turn around and say to other people, you matter to me? It means we do. It means we don't follow what culture says. You climb up the ladder of fame and fortune and success by kicking others off. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to align ourselves as a church to say that everyone who comes in here, whatever they look like, whatever the, however they act, whatever their circumstances, whatever their setting in life, we are to tell them that Jesus died on the cross because he loved them, and because of Jesus, we love them too. And they're important to us. And that means the people we meet outside, the people we come into contact with, we have to want to love them so much that we want to introduce them to our Savior and to invite them to come and be part of our family, part of the worship of our church, to help them grow from the believer that they once first become 
to the mature Christian day by day in walking with Jesus in, in discipleship. See, we have to have that alignment. Churches who say, oh, come in and sit down and shut up and just leave and so we can turn the lights off after the service is over, they're not following the will of the Lord. They're not trying to be aligned together for one purpose, with one heart, with one mind, lifting up others to point them to the Savior, helping them to know that Jesus loved them so much that he died on the cross for their sins. You know, there are people out there who think they're worthless, they're not valuable, but they are because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus must drive the bus here, you know? There's only one person who can drive the bus that decides where we're going and what route we take, and that's Jesus. We can't have a congregation full of all kinds of bus drivers who want to go where they want to go. We have to get on our knees and earnestly pray and seek the Lord's leadership and His direction and His will and then be aligned together Lifting up the purpose of what Jesus has called us to do is to share the gospel message because that ultimately is the, the truth of the love of God that Jesus died on the cross. While we, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what love is. That he gave him himself for our sins to pay the penalty, the ransom. And that's the message we have to give to everyone. The last thing is focus. And the church has to have focus as well. The fact is, there's a lot of things that we can do. When I was um, first getting out of seminary years and years ago, and I mean years ago, the, uh, the, the, the church growth movement was a big deal. I went to conferences on the church growth movement, and everybody had their own plan. They had this plan, and they had that plan, and they had this plan. It was always frustrating for me because when I came back to my church, a little itty-bitty church, which God taught me a whole lot about. I didn't think about it at the time, but afterwards I realized how much he was really teaching me. But in that little church, I tried one plan after another, and you know what? It didn't work because the church got too confused. One person said, just go after the people that are like you. Another person said, go after the, all the other people who aren't like you. Another plan said, imp, you know, implement these ideas. Another plan said, implement these ideas. And you know what? The reason why they didn't work is because we didn't ask for God to give us a focus on what he wanted us to do. The essential church has a focus. And this is what Paul says in verse 4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, Paul says you can look out for your own interests. That's okay. But don't just do it for your interests. Look out for the interests of others. Be in a community of care and love and mercy and help where you aren't any better than others. Actually, you put others ahead of yourself but you're looking out for all the people together. He's, he's applying that to the church at Philippi. See, the church at Philippi was having trouble with that. And he wanted them to understand that it's not just her or him or this person or that person. 
It's all people together, working together, focusing their ideas and focusing their, their energy and moving ahead to where God wants them to go. Focus is the commitment to abandon those areas that fall outside the simple ministry process. We can spend a lot of time doing things that don't work, that really don't contribute to the focus. We know that in our lives. I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing, trying to fix, I told you this about a couple Sundays ago, I, I spent a whole lot of time trying to fix that window in my car, and I didn't go get the instruction book and follow, you know, follow it. We spend a lot of times trying to live life without looking at the instruction book. That's for next Sunday as well. But the point is, we need to focus. Churches that are essential, churches where people don't head out the back door, churches that retain their young adults are not necessarily those who play a certain kind of music or have a certain kind of lock-in or a certain kind of activity going on. They're ones who have focus of knowing what God wants the church to be and do. The essential church loses its effectiveness when it bows to the personal interests of one or more of its church members. This is true when the goal is to be witnesses to Jesus Christ to a hurting and broken world. None of us need to say that we're the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And by his grace and his love, we commit ourselves to kneeling on our, getting on our knees to seek his leadership and not what we always might think or what we tend to think is best. I want to tell you of the battle of the coat rack. The battle of the coat rack took place in a First Baptist church that had been there for years and years and years. And it happened to have a kind of a, a upper balcony that people came in off the street right into that balcony and had to go down into the sanctuary. And somewhere along the line, someone had created and, and constructed a rather nice coat rack and put it up there in that balcony area for people coming in and putting their coats on it. And that coat rack existed maybe from one of the earliest times that sanctuary was built. Then came along a younger pastor, and the younger pastor said, you know what, a lot of people come in those doors, and we need to have a welcome space. We need to be able to shake hands and welcome people who come in, give them information about our church, check in with those who are visitors, make them feel comfortable, give them a cup of coffee, and then have a chance to get them to the place that they need to go. Well, the new pastor, you know, he wasn't sure. He didn't know that he was supposed to wait 10 or 15 years before he does any changing of things. He had somebody come in and take the coat rack out and they built a real nice little welcome center. Pretty, attractive, nice. Well, you know what they say, hit the fan. And three of the deacons took it upon themselves to lead forth the battle and challenge the pastor. Well, I want to tell you, and I'm not trying to say that deacons are bad. That's, don't hear me say that. I'm just telling you, three of the church members got together and they started the battle by attacking the pastor. And rumors started going around. And they started uh, basically denigrating his ministry. And they even went and got the local director of missions to come and have it 
have a shootout with the pastor over that coat rack. Well, that pastor prayed. He did a lot of praying. In a lot of cases, the pastors lose and they go on. He apologized. He didn't know maybe that he needed to talk more with the people before doing it. But when the shootout came, the deacons lost the battle and they left the church. And the pastor stayed a lot more wiser, but also with the opportunity to welcome people into the church in the welcome center. Now, you may think that that's a terrible thing. Coat racks can become other kinds of things. What God calls us to do is to give our hearts to have the right structure to simplify things, to make sure that indeed we have clarity and we have the, the understanding that we have to move and the understanding that we need to be aligned together and the understanding that we have to have a focus. Everything that Paul said here, having the, the, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. That's what God has called us to do. God has called us to become, become lean and mean fighting soldiers of the cross. And that's what he's calling us to do. The point is that the essential church has to have the right structure so everything else can fall into place. If our visitors and church members, for that matter, can't get past the structure, they will never be able to deepen their faith, hear what Christ expects a disciple to be and do, and they won't be able to become evangelistic and missional agents of our mighty and holy God. I'm not talking about some new church growth fad or model. I'm just talking about what used to be called a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival. Simplifying is only the first step to becoming an essential church. The church must also deepen in its spiritual life. It needs to get the right attitude and get the action right. Um, and we're going to talk about those in the, in the Sundays coming up. Non-essential churches are reaching fewer people and losing more people. Non-essential churches call the culture uh, or allow the culture to say that they aren't needed and they don't offer anything when trouble and difficulties happen. Folks, we have the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for discernment. Allow God to give us wisdom and grant us favor. Get on God's timetable. Move to a simple structure as God leads. Let's use wisdom and compassion in becoming a simple church so that Providence Baptist Church can truly become an essential church. When people are asked about churches and they're asked about their local churches, may it always be that they say that Providence Baptist Church makes a difference, that we make a difference in the life of our community our neighbors, and our friends. We're going to have our musicians come and start to get prepared to help us sing our invitation. And again, the invitation is this. If we can commit ourselves to learning what it means to be a church, then we can understand why we are essential. And once we learn that, we can make sure, we'll make sure, God will make sure that the back door will be closed and we'll see why it's important to worship together and grow together.
And when we do that, I believe people will start to notice because that's what God will do for us. We get our act right together with him and he'll take it upon himself to let people know about us. And we'll be able to help others get right with God and heal their brokenness and give them hope. Even during this difficult time of COVID and all the other things that are happening, snowstorms, whatever may come, we'll be able to be an essential church. You stand and sing with me the invitation.